The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Good morning, Refuge Church. Uh, as we get started, I want to again invite Kirsty and Garrett up here. Um, as you know, Kirsty and Garrett have been with us, uh, I think, almost two years. This last spring, Kirsty graduated with her master's from Fuller Seminary. Um, yes, super exciting. And um, so as she went to seminary and graduated, she's felt a long time just a call to pastor. And in cultivating that call, has desired to enter a pastoral internship and has been looking uh, for an opportunity to do that. And so uh, we are excited and sad because excited for her as she pursues that. But what this means is that uh, she's going to be visiting other churches looking for pastoral internships. And um, so we want to pray for them as they go, hopefully not too far. Um, and I want you guys to know just how much we celebrate them, love them. And, and this isn't like, don't talk to them again. This is like, they're a part of the refuge family and they're, they're a part of the, the body of Jesus Christ, right? The body of Jesus Christ doesn't just meet here on a Sunday morning. Praise God. Uh, it's big and so they'll still be a part of our family. You're not gonna cry again, are you? Uh, but we're gonna pray for them and please give them big hugs and just let them know how much we, we care for them and love them. Father, we pray um, just you're a good dad, and um, these moments are hard. I just it's in my heart too, just to keep gathering people and and just living our whole lives just side by side. And um, as Kirsten and Garrett have made this courageous decision to to go explore opportunities for Kirsty to enter into a pastoral internship, we pray that you will bless them. And, and like we prayed earlier, that um, she will find herself just powerful and effective in her work and that many people will maybe hear you in your voice for the first time as she speaks. Um, so we bless them. In the name of Jesus, amen. 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 Love you guys. <laughs> okay. Carry none of that. Why don't you pray with me, please? Father, I again pray that you will make us deaf to everything else other than your voice right now. We can hear from you. The amazing thing is that, that no one's come to hear me. They've just come to hear you and uh, and so God I pray that you will do something special in our souls even as we're just sitting here that um, isn't explainable maybe doesn't reflect even the preparation we put into this other than just wanting you wanting to be here and hear your, hear your word spoken wanting to 
be drawn closer together and closer with you. By your spirit, I pray that you'll make that happen during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, a confession is that yesterday I spent nearly the entire first part of the day um, when I was studying before a, a wonderful wedding many of us were at, studying not what I'm preaching on today. And the reason for that is that all week I'd been saying, I'm going to preach on Song of Solomon, Song of Songs. I'm going to do it, you know, feeling like, just it's in the Bible, you know, I'm just going to get in there, do it. And, uh, and then Friday night, I got to spend time with my beautiful grandmother. And, uh, and I said I was going to preach on Song of Sol- Songs, and she said, oh, that's going to be tough. You're not married. <laughs> and I almost balked. I did. <laughs> I started studying the Psalms and it was great. Um, and then a, a memory of the first time I taught Song of Songs came to mind, which was, I have a lot of stories with Song of Songs. They'll come out, don't worry. Um, the, the first though is I, I remember uh, when I was 14, we had a, you know, a little house church that would meet in different places, and um, my dad invited me to help him teach on a Sunday. I was 14 years old. It sounds very cultic. We weren't. It just looked that way. Um, and so 14 years old, uh, here I was, and assigned three verses from Song of Songs to teach with him. And these three verses are what we're going to go through today. But I remember him him saying, do you see the difference in these verses? And I read them over and over again, and I was like, I don't see the difference at all in these. And, and really, as he started working with me through that, was, I think, the first time I realized what it looked like to study the Bible, not just read the Bible, but to actually study the Bible. And so you'll get to those verses later, but even earlier on than that, before the age of 14, I, I knew about Song of Songs, but it was, to me, like forbidden fruit. Uh, I was given a Bible at a very young age, a big Ryrie study Bible, which is um, about the size of a child. And I was a child, so um, if you, I, I used this Bible all the way through high school, and if you see it, it has um, stickers all over it and signatures of little boys in Mexico who wrote the names of food because I was in Spanish one and we just learned the names of food and so I'd make fun of them by calling them like hamburguesa and things like that and so they were you know right in my bible but then you flip to song of songs and and there is stickers I kid you not a sticker two stickers that say stop (laughs) it was was like I just wasn't ready I just knew I wasn't ready to read this sensuous love story that, the, that Song of Songs is, um, uh, even though I was assigned that at 14 to preach on. Um, but I knew, I knew kind of like what was in it. And uh, <laughs> one more story. Paul, who works with us uh, here at the Coffee Oasis, he will tell you about when I was very little, probably five, six, and we, if you, you were in Sunday school in the early 90s. They did these things called sword drills. And what you would do is they would, they would throw out a verse, 
Micah 6, 8, and you would, you'd get your Bible, my Ryrie study Bible, and, I, you know, and so you'd like, you'd flip through it, and then you'd stand, whoever was the first one to stand, then they would, they would read the verse, and so Paul reminds me all the time of when I was, I was um, this very young, impressionable age, and I, I knew the Bible pretty well, even early on, so I would, I remember standing up and and the teacher would call on me, and I would just start reading, how beautiful you are, darling. Oh, how beautiful your eyes behind your veils are doves, your hair like flocks of goats descending from the hills of Gilead. Your lips are like scarlet ribbon. And it goes, all right, it's very like, whoa. Like as a six-year-old, I'm sure it was very hard for the teacher not to laugh, and I never got beat because I was the pastor's son. Though I would have probably been a lot more reformed <laughs> if I had been. But I, I knew that Song of Songs was this romantic, right, sensuous book. It, it really is. And if you read different scholars on it, you'll read that Song of Songs has had possibly the most commentaries written on it starting in before the time of Jesus even till now, just people trying to grapple with why is this just sexually charged book in the Bible. And just saying that, a lot of you are going to read it who haven't read it before, right? This is, you're like, right? You, it's like right before you hit the major prophets. And so, you, you know, you're, you're reading this book and you're like, this is, wow. And then, and then you get to doom and gloom. And, <laughs> but, but as you're, as you're grappling with it, people still there's a lot of different ways people read it and primarily the reading before the time of Jesus was that it was a a love story um, between God and Israel and then following that following the time of Jesus that it was it was a love story between Jesus and the church now now there's some difficulties with that like like why would Jesus you know say that his church the neck was like towers of David and other very descriptive things. I, I, I was actually going to start reading this like I'm not ready, right, to read this in front of you. So, like, there's, right, so, so you get into this and you go, how do we wrestle with this? But the amazing thing is that, that truthfully, it is a romance poem. And what they've discovered is, as more archaeological digs have been done, that, that this sort of romance literature was, um, was common throughout that time. Um, but what you see here is a love story that sort of God is orchestrating, God is in, and God is maturing. And, and you see this couple very enamored with one another. It's a very idyllic picture of from a beginning of relationship as it matures to, to marriage. But it is, wow. Right? So I, what we're going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to, kind of walk us through what it looks like according to Song of Songs for a relationship to mature and grow. And try not to read too many things that Aaron will have to censor later or Kirsty as they put this up on podcast. Um, You guys ready? Okay, so I'm going to read you the three verses and see if you can tell the difference between them. Now, realize at 14, I didn't have very good critical thinking skills, so you'll probably see it faster than I did. Song of Songs 
2.16, my beloved is mine and I am his. He browses among the lilies. Now don't get lost in the lilies, okay? That's not the important part. Chapter six, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine, still browsing among the lilies. <laughs> Song of Solomon 7.10, I belong to my beloved and his desire is for me. So this is the, the woman, the Shulamite in the story, and she, she has a, a friend, a boy, she really likes, a shepherd. So let's read this again, and this is, again, this is what we're seeing is this maturity of relationship. My beloved is mine, and I am his. Let's go to the second one. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. And then the last one again. I belong to my beloved, and his desire is for me. What do you see here? Well, I really believe what we're seeing here is this beginning of a relationship or beginning of desire in a relationship to uh, really what is a covenant relationship and what that is intended to look like according to God and according to the scripture. So the first verse is what we will call, this is in chapter two, is what we'll call the thrill of passion. The thrill of passion. Song of Songs will also describe this as the awakening of love. You know, that first when you, you're just going through life, minding your own business, and then all of a sudden, you're interrupted by a feeling. That's really how it starts, right? It doesn't start by going like, well, I think that person, all these things I wanted checked off on my check, they've, they've, no, that's not the way it starts. The way it really starts is this awakening of love, this thrill of passion, what, what we'll call curiosity, right? This curiosity that you, you see in uh, the verses surrounding chapter two where um, there is interest, but the interest is there on one person's part, and they're not sure if the other person is interested, and so it gets really scary. You know what I'm talking about? And here, the way it's described, listen to, to chapter uh, three. It says, all night long on my bed, I looked for the one my heart loves. I looked for him, but did not find him. I will get up now and go about the city throughout its streets and squares. I will search for the one my heart loves. So I looked for him, but I did not find him. Right? It's this excitement, this thrill to be in proximity with the person you're interested in. Now, I, I'm going to share something that is deeply personal here. And I just want to, I want you to postpone judgment for a moment until I further explain. Okay? Promise? Pinky swear? Okay, so when I was in college, there was a way we would categorize women, okay? Whoa, don't judge. I can feel your thoughts. Okay. Before you think we're being all objective and being like, she's pretty, she's not. No, the way we'd do it is, is we would say all the women in the world fit into three categories, okay? And we came up with this very elaborate system. Threes are all the women you'll never marry. Your mom, never gonna marry her, right? There's you know, probably women 
in Russia, you're never going to meet and it's never going to marry, right? Like everybody, like there's a lot, there are billions of women in that category. Okay, and it, it's very much limited once you enter into the, the twos, right? Because once you get there, there is this awakening of curiosity and what we would call proximity. You want to be in proximity to this person. Instead of staying home with your microwave pizza, watching Lord of the Rings series for 12 hours, what you're going to do is you're going to go to that party you really don't want to. Simply why? Because you want to see them. Because they're there. And you're not going to talk, probably. You're going to stand on the other side of the room and just like awkwardly stare. Right? Because you don't know what you don't know if that love is reciprocated. Right? That's where relationships, for better or worse, begin, right? Um, and, and I think a lot of times we will, we will say, oh, this isn't the way it's always happened, right? And we'll be like, and we'll, we'll pretend like we're historians, right? And we'll be like, well, before this time, there was just this that happened, and they really didn't like each other. Read Song of Songs. They were pretty excited about one another. Like, woo! Slow it down, right? That's what's going on in the Song of Songs. And, and so you get this thrill, this interest in one another, but it's scary because you don't know uh, if that is shared. And, and you get this sense, and the word hiding is used a lot here in these first chapters, that they're like, their feelings are sort of hidden from one another, and they are hidden from one another, but there is interest. And so they're whispering to their friends, do you think so-and-so likes me? Okay, now, chapter six, we move from my beloved is mine and I am his to I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. And so this is when you go from the thrill of passion to it's what we're gonna call becoming personal. Becoming personal. That means they've had their DTR, okay? And that stand, if you not don't know that, that's okay. I actually had to have it explained to me after college, which was, I guess, a thing that happened in college. I don't know. DTR means define the relationship. Okay? They have... <laughs> I'm modernizing this for you guys, okay? So they have defined their relationship, and so they, they both are in agreement that there is shared interest, there's shared affection, there's mutual confidence, there is a sort of togetherness here, and their fascination isn't just something that they share with their friends or is hidden in their hearts, they don't just say to their friends, I think I like this person. But they will look that person in the eye and they will say, I like you. <laughs> and this is Bible. This is great. See, you just thought, right, it had to do simply with what? Yes, this has to do with God. And that's the amazing thing here. Is, is, is God created us and created us for these powerful, profound feelings that grow into something that goes beyond feelings, which we'll see. God isn't left out of that. God is very much a part of that. God is in that. But the challenging thing at this point when there is so much learning about one another and there isn't yet a pledge or a covenant to be with one another 
And so much of love still depends on me and my perspective. Love still needs to grow. And that's what we see. And I really, okay, so hold this in. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. And now transition into the next uh, verse. I belong to my beloved and his desire is for me. So my beloved is mine to I am theirs. I belong. And so this is a very, very difficult step. And some even enter into marriage without making this step. And it is disastrous. Because what this is, is it's being possessed. Sounds scary, right? And that's why some people don't ever go this far. They, they still are at the, it's still personal, but they aren't yet ready to be possessed by someone else. And, and listen to this possession. I belong to my beloved and his desire is for me. So there is an identity shift that happens here, right? The confidence is no longer in how much you love or how much they are yours, but the confidence shifts to how much you are loved. It's this, this, this stepping out into a place of absolute trust. I'm letting myself fall completely into this person that I'm no longer just defined by what is mine, but I am defined by being theirs. And talk about scary. Well, this isn't described as scary here. And the amazing thing is it's not described as really being scary, but something heroic and beautiful and desirable when people are married, right? When people are married, those days are so beautiful. And, and I think those days should just be ones of celebrating what is beautiful about that. Now, a lot of, a lot of times you'll hear people, especially in the toast, so if you ever have to give a toast, just don't do this. But in toast, warning the couple. Like, I know this is good right now, but just wait. Wait for it, right? <laughs> yeah. and, but, but what's going on here is being described as something that is idyllic and that is good and that is beautiful. And the way it describes it here in Song of Songs, um, after 710 is in 8, 5 through 8, 7. If you read um, scholars and commentaries on this, most people point to this as sort of the wedding vows or the wedding ceremony of Song of Songs as they've kind of grown in their relationship and grown in maturity and they've come to this point where it says, who is this coming up from the wilderness leaning on her beloved? Listen, of the pledge and covenant that you hear here, place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death, it's jealousy unyielding as the grave, it burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters can't quench love, rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. There is in his, and this is why it's idyllic, and that's why you, in the marriage vows, you are making an ideal statement. I am with you for better or worse, richer for poor, sickness and in health. I've been to a lot of weddings. Uh, right? And as you make these, they, these are the ideals that you're holding to. And what you're hearing is this. Many waters can't quench love. 
Rivers can't sweep it away. Right? This covenant is saying nothing, nothing can break this. But we do know with this challenge of, of imperfect marrying imperfect. And in this world, what we see is it seems like love quenched very easily. Waters easily sweeping away the covenants that are being made. This place that is supposed to be as safe as can possibly be imagined for many people becomes a place of tremendous unsafety, right? Where the person that you've entrusted to keep you and protect you the most maybe becomes the one who hurts you the most, right? But here we we read Song of Songs and it is idyllic, it is beautiful, it is perfect. And in that, we do see an allegory of Christ's love for the church. It's not that those, those scholars who said, this is an allegory of Christ in the church, were wrong when we see the shepherd and the Shulamite and it just being a love poem. Remember, remember when we preached that, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your understanding, acknowledge him in all your ways. Remember, all of life is meant to come under God's rule and reign. All things in your life are meant to come under his rule and reign. And so it's not like, like okay, you're going to figure out, you're just going to screw up, screw up, screw up, screw up and love, and then God's just going to come and rescue you. No, like through each part of your life and for each part of your relationships, it's learning to trust God with all your heart and lean not an ounce on your own understanding. This is, I didn't share this with first, first Gathering, but this is really important. I always tell people when they get into a relationship to have somebody that they trust more than themselves. And what I mean by that is, is 100% honest, if my parents were to say, this is unhealthy for you, you need to get out of this relationship, I would. Because I don't think straight. You don't, sorry, you're awesome. <laughs> But you don't think straight sometimes. You need people in your life that you trust more than yourself, right? Hallelujah, amen, amen. right? Because, because why? Because we are soft. <laughs> we are not as strong as we think we are. Our love gets swept away quickly. Our emotions and our feelings get swept away quickly. We need people who, will, who we trust to help us focus. And so what does this mean for this to be an an allegory or a a picture of Christ in the church? Is because when we look to him, we see one who has loved perfectly. And we are not in relationship and we cannot be in relationship with God, which is on these early stages of love. Your love with God is not, and we oftentimes treat it this way, it's not simply a thrill of passion. It is not merely something that has become personal, but it is you being possessed by him. It is not you saying, I'm my beloved's and my beloved is mine, because that is a covenant of equal parts. When you get into this final covenant of being possessed by someone else, listen to it, you are defined by them. I belong to my beloved and his desire is for me. And so, oh, listen, listen to how that works out with us and Jesus. Us and Jesus, we don't go, okay, I'm bringing all these things. I'm bringing all my great qualities into this relationship. And God, you're going to bring some great qualities too. 
Guys, all of your great qualities need to be redeemed. Holy amen. <laughs> right? All of your great qualities need to be redeemed. And that's a really good thing. Right? The best parts of you need Jesus. <laughs> There's not a good part of you that doesn't need him. Right? There's not a, a good part of you that you're like, sweet. God, I'm, I'm glad that like, I was functioning fine without you in this area until I met you. You know, like all of that needs to come under the lordship of Jesus. And let me show you um, how, how that looks. So there's two stories in the New Testament. One um, is the story we're going to read of the rich young man, which you might be familiar with. But I want to I show you how he is trying to be in relationship with Jesus, where Jesus really isn't defining him. He's bringing his great qualities to Jesus and he's expecting Jesus to bring his great, great qualities to him also. And that is in, in Mark 10. It says this, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Thrill of passion. He's on his knees. And Jesus just says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. And Jesus was like, I know you're not calling me God. That's not the way you see this relationship working. You're seeing, you're bringing some good stuff and I'm bringing good stuff. And Jesus is like, that's not the way it works. You already know the commands. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Don't defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said, right? He's got some great qualities. Teacher, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. And then listen to this. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus looks at him in the eye and loves him. And what Jesus is doing in looking at him directly and loving him is welcoming him into a life of following Jesus, right? If he came and followed Jesus, his identity would be defined then by Jesus, which is being possessed by him, this relationship of I belong to my beloved and his desires for me. That's not, he's not ready for that though, right? He wants to earn it himself. So Jesus looking at him is like, do you want to be defined by me? And he didn't. He wanted to be defined by his good works. And so we go on. It says, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have. All these things that define you, all these things that possess you actually, and you will have treasures in heaven, then come follow me. Be defined by me. And the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now the other story is a more happy story because it is someone who finds themselves fully in Jesus. And that is a story in the book of Luke. A man in town who lived a sinful life, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And I know we've, we've read this recently, but guys, this is such a good story. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And honestly, you'd probably think, does she have no dignity? She has completely lost herself in Jesus, right? She is completely defining herself by Jesus, and she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. 
Oh man, how quickly we point people out and we define people, right? Jesus answered, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. See, Simon thought he was in the right relationship, the right kind of relationship with God, but he learned that he is not. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had a bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And remember how he looked at the the rich young man and loved him? Well, now it says he turns toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? Now, now get this picture in your mind. I know we've talked about this before, but this is so important. He looks at the woman. So he doesn't look at Simon and say, do you see this woman? As if she's the one outside. No, she's not the one outside. She's the one who's finding her identity in Jesus. And Jesus looks at her in the eye, locks eyes with this woman and says, do you see this woman? As he is looking at her, do you see her? Because he sees her. She is seen, not for the sinner that she is, but for the lover of Jesus that she is. That's what he's seeing, and he's he's looking at her. And then he goes on, he says, he came into the house of Simon. You did not give me water for my feet or wet my feet with your, uh, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time she's entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, still looking at her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? And he just ignores them. (laughs) So good. He just still with this woman who is in this relationship. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. She is totally centered. Her identity is fully him. And he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is what it looks like. For us to have this relationship with God where we're defined by him because the the truth is when you're in a covenant relationship with another imperfect person, which is what a marriage is, it doesn't always feel safe, right? I don't know that. I'm not married. But I've seen it. So how do you keep pressing in? How do you keep loving? How do you keep that covenant when it's not safe? Because you have been showered with love by Jesus, an unending love, an unending that isn't stopping, that, that waters can't quench that love, that rivers can't sweep that love away. When you say, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. Just find yourself in him and there is safety. And the, the thing with the marriage, and I'm just speaking from what I see in scripture, is that, that no longer are you saying that for me, but you're saying that for, for we, right? <laughs> that you're learning as, as now as a, as a one unit, as you become one flesh, not just to say, I am my beloved and my beloved is my, but as you are married, to go and say, we are his and and his desires for us. And that's the only way it's going to work, right? It's the only way it's going to work is, is not just trying to find your entire safety in one another. And two imperfect things come together. But finding your safety in him. And as you, as you come under him. 
I, I love this story of, of the woman, the sinful woman who comes to Jesus because he says, he must not know how sinful she is. Well, Jesus did know, actually probably more than anyone else did. So how could he say she was forgiven, that her faith had saved her? Well, it's because her faith, she was now found in him. She was forgiven because his righteousness was hers, right? Her identity was fully, fully found in him. And so, so what we read in Song of Songs is not just idyllic. It's not just this, like, this dream, this fairy tale, but it is, it is this growth into maturity of, yes, romance, beauty, sensuality. That's all in there, but it's all learning to grow into I believe it, there is this part where we're finding ourselves in the one who is ultimately safe. As we come, not like Simon, not like the rich young man who tried to come to God and go like, you've got great things, God, I've got great things. But no, we just come and we find ourselves fully, fully in him. And that faith, in that faith, we will find salvation. And we will go in peace and the Bible talks about that peace that passes any understanding of the world. And why that peace passes any, under, any understanding of the world is it's like, how can you still reconcile with all that hurt? Well, because we have been loved so well by God. Because right? we've seen it in him, we've received it from him, and we can share that with one another. Pray with me. God, I feel like preaching today, it's almost like speaking a wedding message where... It just feels so good. <laughs> and and we, we know because we've tripped over ourselves so many times that it's like we get hopeful. Maybe that thrill can be restored, that passion can be there, it can be personal. And we can find ourselves safe and loved. And yet I think we start, just doubt enters really quick because we just know ourselves so well. God, I pray that we will just fully fall into you by faith. Fall into your love, not trying to earn it again and again and again, but letting you redeem us entirely. God, we pray that you'll make us into lovers that keep covenants, that reconcile because you have kept a covenant with us You've invited us to be reconciled to you. We love you so much, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.